Welcome to Optimize My Life, the ultimate radio show where we unlock the secrets to living our best lives. Now, before we dive into this exciting journey of self-improvement and empowerment, I want to take a moment to thank our incredible sponsor, The Hope Collection, for making this show possible. Their unwavering commitment to spreading hope and positivity in our lives is truly remarkable. We believe in the power of interaction, so we want you to be a part of this incredible journey. Call in, write to us, or connect on social media. We'd love to hear your questions, experiences, and challenges. Together, we'll create a thriving community of like-minded individuals, supporting each other to thrive and shine. Welcome to Nutrition Matters with our host, Beth Wyman, spelled correctly. Today, we're going to dive deep and talk about the food reward system. Not only how we reward ourselves, but how we train our children with bribes, rewards, incentives. And later on in the show, we're going to talk about supplements, the good, the bad, and the ugly. How to tell which are good, which are bad, you know, which ones we need, which ones we don't need, and making sure we have enough. And I do believe we might have to make the supplement show a two-show parter. That's, Welcome back. That's two, How are you? Hi. Thank you, Mary. It's definitely two slightly, well, two very different topics, but supplements came up at the end um, last week. So hopefully we get a chance to touch on them. Um, if not, we'll, uh, we'll make it into a two-parter and do supplements another time. But I wanted to start with food rewards because um, that's definitely a different one, especially for um, parents trying to incentivize children to do things. Um, and it can be really hard, right, to get away from the, well, if you, if you finish your broccoli, you can have a cookie or, um, right, using dessert as like the leverage to get what we as the parents want to see our children do. Um, but, or you get so that candy I, bar I or that treat at the store. Yeah, you yeah. Like, you know, if don't whine in the grocery store and you can pick out a candy bar on the way out, things like that. It's, I wanted to start with, like, why not do it, right? Like, what's the point? Why would we need to change? Um, and using food as a reward, right, we're typically using high-fat, high-sugar foods like candy, cookies, that kind of stuff. And so it creates this um, this understanding or this relationship with those foods of, right, I, I deserve this. I did a good job, therefore I get this candy bar or whatever it might be. And that absolutely translates into adulthood as well. Um, So, right, you're going to, oh, well, I did something hard, right? It's no longer eating your broccoli, but it might be like a, a rough day at work. I got through this rough day. I deserve whatever it is. Um. So it's, it leads into, like, eating for the wrong reason. 
more or less. It's not that the food is bad. It's that you're, you're eating it for the wrong reason. You're eating it to reward yourself, not to, like, nourish yourself. Um, right? Ice cream, cookies, all of that. It has a time and place, um, like special occasions, celebrations, those kinds of things. So it's because socially and culturally we do celebrate with food. So it has a time and place, but, you know, it's not, not necessarily every night after dinner. Um, so that's why not to do it, right, so that we can help our kids have a better relationship with the foods that they're eating, um, which should, theoretically will translate into how they uh, relate to food and how they interact with food as adults, too. Um, but then what to do instead becomes really difficult because then we as parents have to learn a different method um, of motivation. And it's not always like a one-to-one replacement, right? There's not always something to put in there instead because what you're trying to change is um, you're trying to change the whole reward system. So, like, I would think of, like, I don't know. I, I mean, my daughter potty trained, like, three years ago almost. But, like, thinking about potty training, right, instead of rewarding with, like, chocolate or something, um, she really loved a good high five, right? Or, um, or like, it seems silly, but even now if, if she's fighting me on going to the bathroom, like, I can see that she needs to go, but she doesn't want to do it. Um, I tell her that she can – she needs to try. Nothing needs to come out. Um, and she can tell me that I was wrong if nothing comes out and her face lights up, right? The reward there is that she gets to tell her mom that she was wrong. Um, so, so sometimes you can like replace it directly with something else that's not food-based, but that they're still going to really enjoy. Um, so kind of like putting yourself back in the shoes of like when you were a child, what would you have found rewarding or, like, what would you have enjoyed doing um, that wasn't dessert? You know, I'm going to interrupt for one quick second. They just did a study, and they found this out um, with art, with kids. And they took 100 kids, put them in three different rooms in three different categories, and they're based on the reward system. And they found that the kids that – they'd have them all draw pictures. And this goes to like chores and doing things you don't want to do when we reward our kids allowances, we reward them with whatever, food. And the kids that didn't get that actual physical reward but got that praise, oh, that looks great, you know, you did a good job. Those are the kids that kept wanting to keep doing it. It was still fun. But the kids that got that reward, they wanted to up that ante and get a better reward every time they did it. And it became to the point they oh, didn't want to do it anymore because it wasn't fun. So it's interesting that they looked for, like, a better reward, too. Like, hey, I got this last time, but is it going to be something bigger, something better the next time? That's interesting. Which, 
you know, makes sense when we're kids and we're, you know, you have to have your room clean, you get, you know, an allowance or you get a treat for doing all your chores. And as they get older, you kind of take that away. Same with grades. You stop wanting to do it. So it's not, there's no reward there or it's not the same. Right. And so, I mean, the praise means a lot, especially to to children, to hear that, like, hey, like, and something that I've learned, I'm certainly not an expert in this piece of it, but something that I've learned with um, going through um, Montessori school with my kids for preschool is, like, rewarding the effort instead of the outcome. Right. Um, yeah, which is a very interesting switch, right? And I have to kind of stop and take account of what I'm going to say sometimes to make sure that I'm not, like, rewarding the outcome. Like, hey, you got an A. That's amazing. But, wow, I can see you tried really hard or, like, you put in a lot of work or something like that. Um, so reframing becomes huge. We had to learn that one quick in our house just for the simple fact that my son's a perfectionist, so he will literally uh, spend all day making sure it is right. And he will get so upset if it's wrong. And but so it's still, a lot right, of people look at it as weird. Still so. Right. You know, it's okay to make a mistake. Don't drive yourself nuts trying to get a perfect score. It's okay. Right. Um, you know. Yeah, but that it's okay that you still him, tried really hard. You put in a ton of effort. Um, if we don't praise him when he does things correctly, like he gets his toys picked up without being asked, or you know he finishes a level on his game, his learning game, he will come up and go yay, and he'll grab your hands and he'll make sure that you know that he did it, and it's all you know. You have to celebrate it. Everything they do. So that's the reward system we use. Yeah, yeah. So there is still there is still a reward. It's just not food based, and it's not that the reward is bad. It's just um, food is not something that you deserve or don't deserve. Right? It's you're alive. You deserve to eat and be fed. So. It's just rem- removing that uh, reward component specifically from food. You know, it's like, you know, like you're talking about dessert at the end of the meal. You know, if you eat all your food, you could have that dessert. <laughs> yeah. Which then... Right, from, like, the dietitian's perspective, what I'm hearing there is you're encouraging clearing your plate, so potentially overeating past the point of fullness to to complete a task, right, to complete clearing the plate. And then it's rewarded with even more food that you may or may not actually be hungry for. So you lose some of that, like, intuitive eating component um, that oh. typically children have of, they eat when they're hungry. They don't when they're not. Um, you're encouraging them to just eat to eat because that's what the adults want. And that's where, like, we have the no thank you bite. 
So yeah. try it. If you don't like it, then say you don't like it. I don't care. I just want you to try it. And I know, you know, like, I yeah. had that big habit of always overfilling their plate. To me, it didn't look like a lot, but you forget that their tummies are a quarter of the size of ours. Yeah, they're little. They're little people. And so, yes, they're going to eat a lot less. A lot, I should say, they eat a lot less at each sitting because their stomachs are small, but they typically, and this is why children snack so much, they typically need still a decent calorie amount. So they have to eat more frequently to be able to get it all in. So like what um, we do in our house, we have the, the sticker system. It's not that you finish your plate, it's you sit down at the table together as a family. And if you can make it through, we set a time limit and we extend it every week they have attention issues and so they get a sticker and they get a reward at the end of the week which is they get to pick the game for family fun day or what oh, we do awesome. for family yeah. fun day yeah that's um right so they're still getting rewarded it's not it's just not with food um, and i know we touched a little no. bit last week on like well what about picking your favorite restaurant right um as a reward like hey if if you do this this and this you can pick where we eat and i guess i'm sure this can certainly be argued but i see that as like more of like making the choice of the type of food or like the the dining out experience rather than saying if you finish this you get ice cream or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Like, and we but do I'm, that with our kids. So, yeah. they get yeah, McDonald's could... once a month. And they get to pick what they get to eat at McDonald's. And I always say it's McDonald's because that's the only thing that's close to where we live. We don't have luxury of oh. all these fast food places. So then they get to stand there up at the counter and pick and talk to that cashier and pick their own meal without intervention from mom. Yeah, and so some of that is the, um, like, that they get to hold the power, essentially, in that dynamic and that situation of what they're choosing. So the reward almost becomes not necessarily the food that they get, but the experience. Right of being able to make the choices and do the ordering for yourself and things like that. Yeah, because they literally order the same thing every time. We come in, there you know our order. <laughs> I live in a very small town. I think you can town. do it anyway. <laughs> that's that's very. I'm glad that they still go through the experience of it, even though they walk in and the person at the cash register already knows their order. <laughs> Yes, Bob. Yeah, can I uh, interject something here? I uh, I just wanted to mention uh, how my mother my mother taught us to, uh, to to do the right things and eat the right foods and so forth and get the right nutrition. Um, 
first of all, she always had fruit and vegetables on the table every single meal, whether it was breakfast, lunch, or dinner, every day. And uh, we were required to take a, a serving of at least uh, each one of those every day. And um, something that she did for us each each night at bedtime, we we were we had our bedrooms upstairs. Uh, us boys did us three boys, but she would bring up um, the cod liver oil and and uh, oranges, and she would give us a, a tablespoon full of cod liver oil. Uh, we had to swallow it and then follow it up with a half of an orange. Every single night she did that. And it, it, it helped us to develop a habit for that. I don't know what the value of the cod liver oil was, but uh, because mom said it was something we needed to take that would help us, um, we took it, you know, and we developed that habit. And so um, I think that's very important with, uh, with children is to help them to develop the right habits in, in what they're consuming um, in, their, in their bodies. And uh, since she always had fruits for us and vegetables, we were always eating fruits and vegetables. Um, I used to climb the apple trees and pick apples off um, to, to get a good apple that I could eat each day and, and uh, get the nuts off of the nut trees and get the, uh, um, uh, the cherries off the cherry trees and the peaches and so forth. And so I, I remember all that stuff. And then to this day, I love eating fruits and vegetables, and, I, and my wife makes sure that we have a serving every single meal. So um, I just wanted to mention that, that uh, that was uh, how the development in my family of, of uh, eating the right things and eating fish and eating, eating uh, 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 beef and eating uh, chicken and eating pork. We all, we all got servings of that every day. We raised all of our own stuff because we lived on a farm. But um, she made sure that we ha we had that in front of us every single meal. So I, don't know if I actually sense. have a question for you about the cod liver oil. Um, did you have fortified milk growing up, or was it like fresh milk right from the farm? <clears throat> Which did you have milk like? Did you have cows, and you just drank the milk right from? the cows that you had on your farm? That was good for the bones, you said? I don't think you can hear me. No, no, not at all. Um, I, I asked if your milk was straight from the cows or if it was, like, fortified from the store. I'm not sure I understand what you said. Where did you get your milk? I don't think, can he not hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, she, uh, oh, okay. Bob, when you were growing up, where did your milk come from? Did the milkman bring it, or did you end up having it from the farm? Did you raise cows? Yeah, we, we had, um, uh, yeah, we raised cows and chickens and pigs and, and ducks and all kinds of things we raised on the farm. And we raised all of our own vegetables and fruits also. So it was, it was That's available That's why they gave you the cod liver oil. Yeah. Cod liver oil so is a natural milk. laxative. It's a probiotic before a probiotic. Yeah, I don't, I so don't know the where reason she got for the it. <laughs> I don't know where she bought the yeah. cod liver oil or, or where it came from, but um, she would give yeah. it to us every day. 
So, yeah, it was she gave it to you because you didn't have fortified milk. And um, yeah. so you needed additional vitamin D, which you can find in cod liver oil. Right, right. So right. it was like taking a vitamin D supplement. We didn't have supplements in those days that we uh, that we took. Uh, she tried. Yeah, to it was the cod liver right. oil. Yeah, yeah, except for the cod liver oil and the and the fruits and stuff. Yeah, but that's that's probably why she did it was for <laughs> the vitamin D content since the milk wasn't fortified. Yeah, yeah. The the, uh, the milk that we find in in the store now is all fortified with vitamin D to help with the calcium absorption. So. Yeah, we we um, we we had the we bought the, the milk from the cows. <laughs> I, I find that right. was one of my yeah. jobs. I had to milk two cows every day, uh, so we uh, we got the milk directly from the cows, and it was not pasteurized right. and it and it was not fortified or anything like that. It was just directly from the cows. Yeah, and it's so. I mean, with your story, you can see that what adults do even for for young children carries with us into adulthood um, for better or for worse and I do think it's important to explain to children why they need to do things I mean at an age appropriate level obviously but um, it is important for them to understand why right and so um, we do um, definitely part of this is the byproduct of my um, profession, but at dinner, it sometimes turns into the, um, like a mini lesson on like why we're eating certain things or what it's doing for us um, to help with the understanding of why I'm asking them to eat it, right? It's not just a, a power struggle of you need to eat vegetables because I said so. It's, and we you know, my son's getting a little bit older, so we go a little bit more into things, and he finds it interesting. Of like, okay, like protein foods are going to help build your muscles, or um, one that they love or that uh, we talk about, like the fiber content of like beans or cruciferous vegetables, so broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, um, and how it's really good for your gut. Um, and my daughter, who's four, her understanding of it is, like, they're, they're going to make you pass gas. So, like, she thinks it's hilarious, and she then wants to eat them because she thinks it's funny. Um, but they're, as they get older, right, so my son's eight now, like, we end up with a little bit more of an understanding of, like, the why behind things. Um and it just is, it makes it a little bit easier to get buy-in and it doesn't become a power struggle now or later, hopefully. Right. You bring up a good because point with, when um, it talks about yeah. the, the power struggle. You know, trying to get your kids to eat what they're supposed to and not reward them with food 
or the incentive of food at the same time, it becomes this little battle of wills sometimes. Yeah. Especially as a parent when we don't always eat what we tell our kids to eat. Yeah, we have to set the example. Or explain why you're not eating a particular thing that they're eating. Because, like, for me, my kids love dairy. I'm lactose intolerant, so I always make myself something different when they do, like, their special pizzas or, you know, so they know mom can't eat it. And then they stop. Well, mom, you need to eat that. It's healthier. You said you needed to eat healthy. Right, but it's different because for you, it's actually not a good choice. So, right. Um, yeah, and so that brings up the interesting to- topic of like every body is different, um, and what's right for one person isn't necessarily right for the next. Um, but yeah, they do watch, and so as much as we don't think that they know that, like, about, like, the secret stash of chocolate or things like that, eventually they'll find out, and then and then it registers to them as, okay, this is what adults do. Like, they hold it together and eat super healthy all day, and then at nighttime they can have all the sweets. Um, so by improving our own, as parents, our own relationship with food and what we're choosing, we're also influencing what they think adults are like and how they'll eventually model their own behaviors. You know, when or you know, when you bring that up, it always brings me back to that um, commercial where the mom's hiding in the bathroom eating cookies, and the kids are out yeah. looking for. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's not uncommon, right? And it's that feeling of like this has been a really hard day. I need something to make me feel better. So diving into that like emotional eating side, and and rewarding yourself and trying to make yourself feel better with food. And it does, and honestly, like, it, it does work. There is a biological component to it that those high-fat, high-sugar foods do actually make you feel better, but it's short-lived. And in the long run, it ends up being detrimental if you continuously do it all the time. But we are... We are wired that it it does actually make us feel good to eat those things. Now, is it wired because of what's in it, or is it wired because we were raised as a reward system and this is what we're told, you know, we were trained no, that that's it's a, that's great a, to get that? It's that's nature, so it actually acts along like dopamine receptors in your brain. Um, that high fat, high sugar food, so it's that's yes, there's like a nurture component to it, uh, if that's the way you were raised, but there is also a natural component to it of that's just the way humans are built. So it's safer drug alternatives. 
I'm sorry, what? It's kind of like looking at it as the safer drug alternative in a way, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so I actually used to work in a drug and alcohol rehab center, um, and you would see a lot of essentially behavior replacement, right? So instead of their drug of choice, they would turn to um, either just straight overeating everything available or going specifically for candy. So it's, I guess it's safer in a way, but still, like, has very real long-term consequences um, in terms of if that's all you're eating, you're going to end up with other kinds of, like, deficiencies and health issues, Um, right? Even if, say, you're eating an okay calorie amount, right, but it's all coming from, like, I don't know, this one – person comes to mind, like, if it's all coming from, like, gummy bears, right, it's not, technically, you're not overeating because it's the right calorie amount, but you're not getting any of, you're not getting all of the nutrients that you need because it's all coming from gummy bears or whatever it might be. So it's, it's that, and it's, it definitely takes rewiring if you are somebody who does reward yourself with food. It it takes, um, I find it takes a lot of essentially talking to yourself to change that internal dialogue of, you know, I, I don't know, the end of a long work day usually comes to mind as like the example of like, okay, it's been a really hard day. I'm going to go home and have whatever, some cookies. It's like you can still recognize, like, hey, it's been a really long day. I would love to treat myself. And maybe you go home and, like, spend, like, 10 minutes to sit down and read or to sit outside and treat yourself to something that you may not normally do right after work that is enjoyable that doesn't involve food. Um, or something that I've had clients do in the past is they want to, if they're working on like weight loss and they want to reward themselves at like certain intervals, so say maybe like every 10 pounds, they want a reward, but they're so used to rewarding themselves with food. And I'm like, well, that's that, it's not going to work. You can't lose 10 pounds and then go out for ice cream and, undo the habits that we're working to change. Um, So for things like that, where it's more celebratory and a little bit bigger, um, I've had people that like treat themselves to like, I don't know, like a new piece of clothing or going out to get their nails done. Um, So something that is a little bit bigger, but that is something that they can really look forward to um, to help drive that motivation to still work towards the goal.
it works for so, kids and adults, I guess, right? Everything works for both. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, adults are just, depends on the adults, some of them are just bigger kids. Oh, absolutely. Most of us are just larger children. Makes life fun. Yeah, I'm convinced most of us are just overgrown children. Yeah, I, I am. Oh, I know I am. So, um, what would you tell parents that are because most people want that quick fix. It's not going to be a quick fix, especially when it's working with kids. You know, to no. just persevere and stay with it, and it's going to take a little time to readjust what you're doing. Absolutely. It takes time. If, if, if you've got children that are used to having food rewards and then suddenly you switch it, um, there's going to be pushback and it's tears and it's, it's going to be rough, but, but staying consistent becomes the job of the parent to consistently offer the same thing. So if you waver and, and try, kind of like give in, I guess, to the complaints of like, well, I want, you know, I, I want ice cream as my reward instead or whatever it might be, um, then you're just undoing the work that you're trying to do. So continuing with the consistency will help with um, implementing a new, even though it's not easy at first, right? It's like taking the time to remind yourself as the parent of what your end goal is and what you're trying to do can help keep you on track um, for making the change. Which I guess really goes for any kind of change, whether or not you're making it for your child or for yourself. Um, keeping that end goal in mind when it would sometimes definitely be easier to like give up and just go back to what you were doing. Um, but you're, you're never going to get where you want to go that way. It's um, that gets into the whole psychology of behavior change, which is very interesting, right? Like you can guarantee the outcome if you give up and then you can just say, well, nothing ever works for me. You're right. It doesn't if you know that you're going to give up every time. So there's definitely some of that as well, like reframing the thought pattern of trying until you reach success versus trying for a little bit, not immediately achieving success and therefore giving up and fulfilling your own prophecy that it's not going to work. That's usually like a really tough one where people end up crying. Um, because it takes like the, the self-awareness of like, oh yeah, no, I definitely did that to myself. I, and it's, it's, you are the only person that can make yourself continue to try. It has to be internally driven. I believe it needs to be internally driven to be successful. 
So I'd like to take a little bit of time to touch on supplements, too. Um, because, well, I am making up again talking about the cod liver oil. Um, but what came up at the very, very end of last week was that I believe the comment was that you need supplements because you can't get everything you need from food, which is not accurate. Um, with eating a wide variety of foods, so a wide variety of fruits and vegetables, all different types, like all different colors, um, with eating a wide variety of food, you can meet all of your needs, usually through food. Um, and I actually saw something recently online um, just kind of commenting on the types of foods that we as a population tend to eat. And it was something to the effect of like commenting that like we're in a society where eating whole foods is considered dieting. Um, and there are, I mean, there are full diets based around like a whole, a whole food diet or things like that. But by eating real food, um, can certainly meet all of your needs. There are obviously, there's always, always circumstances where that's not possible. So for somebody that has like a deficiency for some type of reason, uh, I know one that's really common is a vitamin D deficiency because vitamin D we primarily get from sun exposure and then our bodies make the vitamin D itself. Uh, you can eat it. So if you're eating something like um, sardines um, or anchovies, so tiny fish where you're eating the bones, you will get some of the vitamin D from their bones that, that you're consuming. But that's not typically part of somebody's, like, regular diet. I mean, it may be, but um, the sun tends to be our primary source. And if you're not getting enough sun exposure – you might certainly need um, a vitamin D supplement. So, so there are there's a time and a place, right? If there's a true deficiency, it or an insufficiency, it is it does warrant either changing the foods that are being eaten or adding a supplement. Um, and then there's also issues of malabsorption, where for whatever reason that person's body just doesn't absorb that nutrient from the food. Um, and then, well, and then supplementation this, is needed too. There was this news article that came out that turned into this fake news crap where um, <laughs> some of the fields, not all fields, but some of the fields were being over-harvested or over-farmed so that carrot yeah. didn't have all the nutrients that a carrot would have. That's not saying all your vegetables don't have all the nutrients in them. It's, they took a little story and blew it up and turned it into something it's, else. Yeah, and there's um there's also, and I haven't looked into this in a while, there was a movement towards what was termed regenerative, regenerative agriculture. Um, 
And so doing things like um, like cover crops and things to return nutrients to the soil, which I think you tend to see in, in smaller operations uh, versus like large industrial farming. But I, I absolutely could be wrong because it's been a few years since I've looked at it. Um, and you, that things are constantly changing. So, but you're not going to suddenly grow a carrot that's like devoid of nutrients and it's just like a blank empty carrot when you pull it out of the ground. There's always going to be some in there. Um, so it might not be as much. It might be slightly different, but it's still better than nothing. Um, and I think that with those kind of like scare tactic articles, that's the part that's missed as well of like, oh, well, you should only be eating whatever it might be, like organic carrots because they don't have whatever. I'm literally making this up. They don't have whatever the other ones do. Um, but then you run into the issue of, like, there's so many people that can't afford that. And so then they're going to think that they shouldn't eat a non-whatever specially raised carrot because it's not – it's like they're not making the best choice when they could be making a better choice and still eating a vegetable. Um, yeah, it's not going to decrease the amount um, that's that's in the fruit or vegetable significantly enough to to need like special labeling or anything, right? If you think about it from like a labeling perspective. It's unlikely that the the practice um, changes the the nutrient content that much. One of the things that actually happens with like large scale farming is things are picked. So produce, fruits and vegetables are picked before they're ripe, and then they ripen while they're being shipped. Uh, and that does cause nutrient loss because it's not ripening while still attached to the vine or whatever it may be. Like it, it, it can no longer absorb additional nutrients from the soil around it. Uh, and that does cause a, a difference in the nutrient content of the food. That's very, very much real. And so to the benefit of buying things local or even growing your own, if you can, so that you're picking something much closer to when it's fully ripe. And that does change the nutrient content of the food. supplements, I don't know, time and place. Um, it's definitely worth if somebody doesn't know whether or not they should be taking supplements, they should be talking to a dietitian or sometimes their doctor. Doctors don't necessarily always have the time to go through everything or the knowledge background on supplements outside of medication. Um but it's it's definitely worth asking. Um, supplements are something that are marketed to the general public um, 
and marketed well to make us think that we need them um, and that it will easily solve whatever problem we think we have. Um, I have a question. Oh, yes, absolutely. Hi, Diane. Hi. <laughs> okay, uh, I have type 2 diabetes. And right now, I am taking uh, vitamin D3 and also uh, B12. But I feel like, you know, uh, what other ones, you know, should I at least, you know, have part of that? You know, I'm, I don't take uh, vitamin E and uh, I don't take or, you know, or anything like that, but, you know, and I'm sure that probably is not enough, you know, for myself, you know, even though, you know, I try to eat more, you know, the, the vegetables and also the fruits and, you know, protein stuff and things like that, but um, how do I make, you know, a better judgment on my supplements that I feel like I should be taking as well? It's, it would require you sitting down with a professional to go through your current health conditions, your current eating practices, um, and then also your goals of where you want to be to figure out what would be beneficial very specifically to you. Um, mm-hmm. um, because if you don't have issues with like with absorption or you know if you don't have food intolerances and things like that you could very well um, get what you need from making sure that you're having enough like fruits and vegetables in your diet of a variety of different like nice deep colors um, Mm -hmm. and to be richer in vitamins and minerals so it can certainly be done just with food, um, you may not actually need an additional supplement. But that's something you definitely would want to sit down with. I mean, I am biased, I guess, and I think dietitians are the right people to be doing that. Oh, okay. no, they, they are. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd like you yeah. to talk about is um, with supplements, because our U.S. market is not regulated when it comes to supplements. Nope. How to know that your supplement that you're taking is actually what it says on the bottle? Um, so, oh, hang on. It is, there is optional regulatory agency. So, yes, US, I mean, all US supplements. USP. Yeah, USP. So, but it's optional is the thing. So, all um, supplements are regulated by the FDA. So, they should go through a process and have what they say they have in them. I know a number of years back there was an issue where vitamins were then quality tested and found to not have what they claimed to have in them. Um, But so USP 
is, like I said, it's voluntary. But if you see that on a label, if you have, if you see the USP seal, that's a great indication that it's, um, it's, it's a vitamin or supplement that has what it says it has in it. And that is on the label? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it, um, I'm looking for a picture of it so I can describe it. And it's like I'm a little star a sticker. And yeah. it says USP. Um, I am on the FDA website, and the FDA, um, they don't get involved with, it says their role begins after products enter the marketplace. So many cases, the right. FDA, companies can produce and sell dietary supplements without even notifying the FDA. So, yeah, you Because the FDA the works to ensure they meet standards, but. And it, there's a lot. You can go look at, um, um, I don't, I don't know the right terminology off the top of my head, but basically, um, complaints that have been put into the FDA or investigations that the FDA is doing um, into certain companies or certain products. So it might not necessarily get pulled from the shelf, um, but you can see where they've violated whatever kind of guidelines, either like um, marketing guidelines. So the wording on supplements is very interesting too. They can't claim to cure or treat any condition. So um, the wording has to be careful on any kind of supplementation as well, and sometimes they screw that up. Um, but I would say to know that it's something decent to go with one that has that USP verified seal on it. I know, like, we buy ours, our American supplements, only bonds we buy are the ones that are USP labeled, and it's a, like a star circle on it with, like, a sun almost, and it says big, bold, USP approved. Or we buy ours in yeah. Canada because Canada's got a highly regulated market when it comes to supplements. Oh, do they really? Yeah. It's, That's like... You have to be tested. Every batch has to be tested. You have to have a sticker and a seal. It is insane how restricted they are with supplements. Not with medications, but with supplements. That's good, though. It, they, I think that it should be regulated and there should be oversight so that you don't end up with companies selling essentially like snake oil, like snake oil salesmen, you know. Um, yeah, and that's where they're selling a you couple years ago, something they don't have. What was that? Because they sold over. Um, GNC went through that a couple years ago when they sold over their product, uh, sold with China, and they thought they were testing their products and found out that some of their products didn't contain anything that it said it did. Yeah, yeah. So having that regulatory oversight 
can certainly be helpful and protective to the consumer. Oh, that's why I can't. That's, I'm gonna have to do some more reading on the Canadian supplement regulation. Because that is yeah, I very have cool. Because I, yeah, it's, well, I live in Minnesota and I'm not that far from the border. And um, we had Wellstone, our old senator, used to take seniors from here on bus to Canada to get supplements and medications because they were cheaper over there. Oh, my gosh. Canada would come here for the doctors. We'd go there for the the prescriptions. (laughs) You know, we're all working together. But a friend of mine that I work with, one of my clients, actually, she lives over in Ontario, and she was explaining it to me, and I started looking it up, and it's really cool. They are so, we are one of the only countries that doesn't regulate our supplements compared to other nations. It's, and I know, I know that that actually can cause a problem for, um, for athletes, too. And so there is, um, there's a database that sports dietitians use to check supplements, like not based on type of supplement, but based on like manufacturer and things to see whether or not it's going to impact their, the ability of their athletes to pass a drug test. Um, this yep. came up a lot with like things like pre-workout because there were some pre-workouts that were um, causing athletes to not pass drug tests. So they, um, because it's different, like it's not a, it's it's different than like a drug test for an employer. They're looking for yeah, it's a performance enhancing supplement and things too. So it's, it's not it's yeah. not the same as we think of a drug test for like an employer. It's the same we take in the army. Yeah, it's for masking agents that can hide other things. That too, yeah. There's extra protein, stuff like that. Yeah. So, but this is very cool. I'm going to do some reading about the um, about the supplements in Canada. I wonder how that'll impact the American market, the U.S. market. Not much. It's not talked about. Because it, it, I mean, at least this article makes it look like it's a recent decision this year to make the switch in how they were regulated in Canada. Interesting. So hey, I've, had, I've had this for a while. Go ahead, Diane. Oh, they have this good. I just wonder if they are better up in Canada or not. Well, it sounds like with the increased regulation, you're going to actually get what you think you're getting. Right. So, yeah. So that, so either going with something, it looks like maybe going with something either from Canada or something that's got that USP seal on it would be how you know that you are getting a quality product. Yeah, I'm looking at my D3 bottle, and it does have it. But, you know, of course, I mean, before, it, you know, I 
don't notice it because, you know, not knowing, you know, I would have no idea that now that, you know, Mary has the, you know, pointed that out that, you know, I'm looking at my bottle and it does have it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nature Made is a good brand. Yeah. They usually have it. You go to Walmart. Um, Yeah, there's a lot going on on food labels in general and even and definitely on supplement labels where it's a lot to look at. And so if you don't know what to look for, you might not necessarily see it. Right? There are, um, right, so like finding that the USP seal or – um, in some conditions, it matters, like, the type of mineral you're using. So, say, like, the type of calcium or the type of magnesium. And so knowing where to find that on the label, too, um, is is a, a nice point of education um, so that you know what you're getting and you're an informed consumer with what you're putting into your body. That could be an entire other episode how to read the labels of all the stuff that's in the store. Yeah, because that's yeah, good episode. That might take a couple episodes yeah. just because there's so much <laughs> to understand it. There's, there's the front of the package. There's the back of the package. Like, it's all, there's so much there. It's like a whole new language. Yeah, and it's and it's um, kind of an eye-opening realization that we're the consumer, right? And it's being marketed towards us. So it's, you know, what's on the front of the package is not necessarily to help us make the choice. It's to convince us to buy the food um, and spend money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then deciphering what some of those, you know, like, Instead of stating what they are, they use the scientific label name so that it sounds better. Oh, yeah. It's all kinds of stuff. So, all right, we are at 1 o'clock now. And it sounds like we've got our topic for next week already, too. So join us next week about food labels, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I just like that phrase. (laughs) I like it, too. It's great. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Join us back here at 5 p.m. Eastern. Thank you, Beth. And we talk about mental mental health. Oh, that's me. And awareness. (laughs) You know, some things you're struggling with or your kids are struggling with is not your fault. Things happen. Some kids are born that way. And when you're diagnosed, your kids are diagnosed, you think it's the end of the world and you did something to screw them up. Mm. And that's what we're talking about today. So see you back here at 5 p.m. Eastern for Mind Matters. 
All right. Bye for now. Bye. 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 Thank you.